You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Before turning to our second reading, I need to make a confession first. For many years, I have avoided teaching, but especially preaching on Paul's letters, Paul's epistles. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I open up these books of the New Testament, I find the language to be confusing. And perhaps you might find that in today's reading as well. The metaphors that Paul employs often feel too opaque to me. And too often, it seems like Paul goes on these long-winded theological explanations by which When you reach the end, you are still unsure of exactly what it is he said with all of those words. But in recent years, through much effort, I found Paul growing on me. I've even reached a place where I would say I am beginning to love Paul's letters. I think the reason I finally reached that place is because when you dig in what you discover in the Pauline writings, and especially in his letter to the church in Rome, is that Paul cuts through all of the fat, and he just gets to the point. He gets right down to the heart of the matter. And so throughout the month of August, we are going to be exploring The book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. This series is not meant to be one where we explore the historical context and the audience to whom Paul was writing and all of the nuances, although if you're interested in that, then I encourage you to join us each Sunday for our joint Sunday school class that Pastor Craig is leading down in Fogarty Hall as we explore those elements of Romans Here in worship, what we're going to do, though, is sit each week for the next four Sundays exploring some of the key themes that Paul seeks to lift up as he writes to this church, this church that he never met before writing to, this church of Christians who are struggling to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ mere years after Christ's own death, and resurrection. And so we begin that journey today turning to the very last verses of chapter 1 and then moving to chapter 3 where Paul unpacks some of what we encounter there in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. So I invite you to join with me as we listen once more for a word from God. Paul writes to the church saying, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. For as it is written, Paul says, the one who is righteous will live by faith. 
There is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith. You all getting a sense of the confusing language? He did this to show his righteousness, Paul continues, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Christ. Then what becomes a boasting, Paul asks? It is excluded. By what law, he asks, by that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it might quiet our minds, that it might crack through whatever hard crust has encapsulated our hearts this day. Send your spirit, O God, that it would speak a fresh word for the living of this moment and of these days. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered together here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever experienced one of those moments where seemingly out of the blue, the worry just begins to lift a little? Whatever noise has been clanging around in your head or your heart, it just suddenly is a few decibels quieter. Have you ever experienced one of those moments where this peace, this peace which you might say surpasses all understanding, surprises you, washes over you? You know, for over 10 years now, I've had about the same routine every Sunday morning when we lived on St. Simon's, I'd wake up early, I'd get showered and get dressed in the dark, and I'd get in my car and I'd first go to the Starbucks. I was always the first car in line, 5.30 a.m. at the St. Simon's Starbucks. And Becky, not her real name, you'll understand in a moment, Becky, for over six years, served me up a venti Pike Place Black for free because she knew where I was going. I didn't say her real name because I know someone on St. Simon's might watch this and Becky might get in trouble. I almost said her real name right there, uh-oh. <laughs> I don't know if you all know this, but uh, for us preachers, there are Sundays when we come in to church carrying a weight of sorts. 
For whatever reason, there are those Sundays when we feel like whatever words we have prepared to share are too small. Whatever message it is we're hoping to get across is too insignificant. Whatever challenge it is we're hoping to leave you with, that it's too diluted. So sometimes on those Sundays after I pulled out of Starbucks, I'd go to this little gravel strip down next to St. Simon's Elementary. It looks right over the beach and then over the water. It was always too early for sunrise, but usually most mornings you get there and the sky would start to be getting lit up. All those purples and oranges and reds. And the horizon would start to become clear way out there in the distance. I always remember the first time I saw this phenomenon. Some of you who spend a lot of time at the beach have no doubt seen it as well. Whereas the light gradually begins to come up, there are these huge cumulonimbus clouds, those big ones, way out there on the horizon. But all you can see is the top of them because of the curvature of the earth. I'd sit there with the engine off and the windows cracked. Three, four, five minutes, that's all. But in that moment, I would be reminded, well, I guess I'd be reminded of God's bigness. I'd be reminded that ultimately it's not our words that matter in any of this. It's God's word. Right, I find myself sitting there and it'd be a little like that weight lifting. All that noise clanging around in my head about two small words would start to quiet a little. And there'd be this peace. I turn the engine back on and I drive over to the church. Almost like I was now suddenly being buoyed up in some mighty river. Some current of God's presence carrying me forward. Carrying me forward with a renewed perspective. The perspective that was there all along, but I just needed something or someone to remind me. Y'all ever had moments like that? I think Paul is having one of those moments when he sits down to write Romans. Right? Paul has been swept up since the moment he encountered that blinding light on the road to Damascus. He's been swept up in the self-giving, self-dying love of an incarnate God who has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Right? He's been filled with this power, this power fueled not by Starbucks and sunrises and ocean waves, but this power fueled by God's love, this power, you might say, of the gospel itself. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul writes. Those opening verses to our reading, verses 16 and 17, have sometimes been referred to as really being a summary for the whole letter to the church in Rome. In just those two verses, Paul lays out all the themes that he's going to spend all the next chapters unpacking for the Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, he writes, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. I am convinced, in other words, Paul is saying, I am convinced that in Jesus Christ, God has fulfilled that covenant that God cut all those years before with old Abraham and Sarah, This promise God had made with humanity to bless us. 
and to save us. And Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, that covenant has finally and fully been fulfilled. But did you notice the qualifier he puts on it? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm convinced, he says, that it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who, what? Has faith. Now that word is a near constant thread, not just through Romans, but through all of Paul's writing, this word faith. And when you dig into it, you come to understand that when Paul writes about faith, He's not just talking about our faith in Christ. He is, but that's not it. There's a double meaning here. He's also talking about Christ's faith in God. The preposition that he uses, those who have faith in Christ, that that word in, it could just as easily be translated of. The faith of Christ. Salvation because of our faith in Christ and salvation because of the faith of Christ. When Paul looks at the life and faith of Jesus Christ, he encounters a man who trusted God, who trusted God so much that he was willing to follow God all the way to the cross. And in that trust, Paul sees Jesus revealing to us two fundamental truths about the heart of our creator. The first truth that Jesus reveals to us about the heart of God is that God's love is so immense. It's a big book. It's a lot of love. That first truth is that God's love is so immense that God chooses to become incarnate, to become flesh and blood. To know fully what it means to be human, even suffering, even death. And it's in Jesus' death that Paul sees a second truth revealed about the heart of God. Which is that in Jesus' death and resurrection, we learn that God is so powerful that there is no other power on earth or in heaven that can conquer it. That God's love is so powerful, it can conquer even death. It is by Christ's faith that Paul sees the full power of the gospel revealed. And it is that power that Paul writes to the Roman church. It is that power Paul wants to share with both them and with us. Right? He wants them to know that in Jesus Christ, God has reclaimed the, word, the world. rather. That word righteousness, that's a word I have often got hung up on. Because when I hear that word righteousness, it evokes for me that unattainable perfection that is God, that purity that is God. How can I be righteous? I can't be perfect. I am far from pure. When Paul talks about God's righteousness, he's talking about those things, yes, but he's also talking about God's commitment, God's commitment to effect salvation, God's commitment to redeem and reclaim the whole world. 
And Jesus Christ, Paul wants the church in Rome to know God has repaired the relationship between us and God. God has redeemed humanity. If you're coming to trivia later this month, I don't know if there's going to be Bible questions or not. I'm not coming up with them. But someone might ask, what is God talking about when God talks about redemption in the Bible? When the Bible talks about redemption, it's almost always in the context of freedom from slavery, liberation from bondage. So when we talk about God redeeming us in Jesus Christ, we're literally talking about God loosening the bonds of our sin and freeing us to live in the light of God's grace and God's mercy. Paul's writing to the church then and now, wanting them to know that in Jesus Christ, God has accomplished something utterly new for humanity. So listen, he says, don't just sit there and sip your Starbucks and watch the waves of that good news. Don't just dip your toes into the water, Paul says. Paul says, no, you got to wade out, way out into the surf of that good news. You got to let that mighty current buoy you up and carry you away. You got to let that good news of a God who redeems, a God who is righteous, a God who justifies, a God who loves, you got to let it change everything about your life. Friends, there's a a family in our church that many of us have been thinking about and visiting and praying for in recent days. This is a family that for the last few weeks has just been on a medical roller coaster. Every bit of good news gets met by not so good news. A little over a week ago, the doctors came into their ICU room and they laid out all the options. You can do this or this or this or this, they said. We don't know if any of it will work. We know all of it will certainly come with potential complications, but we can try. But then they said, there is another option. We can do nothing. I mean, we can do something, hospice, but what that means is stopping all of this other stuff. And without hesitation, this family raised their hands and they said, we choose that. We choose that option. Those of us up here and out here who have visited with this family will know that ever since that moment, the way they describe having made that decision is like all the worry just lifted. They say all that noise just suddenly got quiet, literally and figuratively. 20 minutes after making that decision, they came in and they wheeled all those machines that had been beeping and whirring for days. They took them out and everything just got quiet. 
To be in the room with him is to be in the room with people who are utterly and completely and fully at peace. It truly is a peace which surpasses all understanding. They've given me permission to share because what I've told them in my visits is that the thing that they have done for me is to show me an example of what it truly looks like to live by faith. They are living with faith in a God, a God whose love is so immense that it has come to be like, like us, a God whose love is so immense that there's no emergency, there's no suffering, there's no pain, that God is not also right there in it with them. Right? They've shown everyone who has stood beside them these past few days what it looks like to live with the kind of faith, faith placed in a God who has conquered every earthly power, even the power of death. I told them yesterday, sitting there with them, that for me, they are showing all of us what it looks like to die as you lived, to die trusting in the power of the gospel. Friends, I'm here to tell you when you are in the presence of faith and trust like that, you can't help but want to wade out a little bit further. To let that power wash over you and buoy you up and change everything about how you live when you walk back out that door and into the world beyond. Friends, as people who know the power of the gospel, may we also be people who seek to live in its light and to share it freely with trust and faith and hope in the God we meet in a crucified and risen Lord, Jesus Christ. For the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world, may it be so. Amen.